It is the Lockdown Bengals Podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Today, we've got a loaded mailbag for you. You sent us 41 questions. We'll answer some of those in the last two segments of the show. We're going to start off with the lead segment, as we always do, however. We'll get you updates on injuries, some notes on Jermaine Pratt, who sounds like he's ready to go, an ironic quote from Preston Brown, in my opinion. And then we'll talk a little bit about some of the interesting matchups in Buffalo. Joe Goodberry has done a lot of talking about the Buffalo game, so we'll get to your questions pretty quick. The Bengals' injury report today remained mostly the same as it did yesterday when they had nine did-not-practice listings for their players. The big change today is Andre Smith graduated to be a limited participant in practice. The man he's backing up, Cordy Glenn, remains in concussion protocol. And I think we're going on five weeks now for Cordy Glenn in the concussion protocol. On the Buffalo side of the coin, the most notable injury is Devin Singletary might not play, which means the Bengals will instead face the ageless, but still slower and less elusive than Devin Singletary, Frank Gore this week. Some of the other notable injuries include Carl Lawson, who hasn't returned to practice, and Ryan Glasgow, who also hasn't returned to practice. We could use both of those guys. Uh, I think that's the biggest concern for me on the injury report. I've kind of gotten past Cordy Glenn at this point and uh, figured, he, you know, when he plays, he plays at this, you know, at this stage of it because I think we should be concerned with if he's ever going to play this year at all or, uh, you know, his health for his career and his life. So um, moving on, I think Carl Lawson and Ryan Glasgow are the major injuries here. Both have played. A fair amount. I wish I actually would have seen more of either one of those in the first two weeks and maybe a Carl Lawson, a little more impact. But um, they're dealing with injuries right now and a hamstring for Lawson and a thigh for Glasgow. Doesn't sound like anything major, but it could keep them out this week if they don't practice on Friday. The Bills are another team that's going to copy the 49ers most likely and come out there in 12 personnel, see how the Bengals respond and try to run it until the Bengals prove they can stop it. Not having Devin Singletary, if he doesn't play, he's missed two practices this week with a hamstring injury, is a pretty significant downgrade to Frank Gore. And don't get me wrong, Frank Gore is still a good player. For his age especially, he is an amazing player. But he doesn't have the juice that Devin Singletary has. He doesn't have the shake. He doesn't have the elusiveness. And he certainly doesn't have the speed that the 49ers running backs presented the Bengals with last week. So while missed tackles might continue to be an issue, and I expect them to be an issue until they're proven otherwise, Frank Gore at least isn't going to run away from you that far while you try to figure out how to tackle. Yeah, and from going against two really fast running backs for the 49ers to maybe two of the slower backs or maybe the slowest unit in the league without Singletary, even with Singletary, he didn't run that fast. But uh, Frank Gore and TJ Yeldon for the Bills will pose different problems. They're fighters. They'll they'll run through your arm tackles, but uh, like you said, they're not going to go very far. So I like this matchup much more than last week's, and it's probably more akin to the Seattle Seahawks running backs. 
And the Bengals had no problem at all with that Seattle Seahawks running game. But what is the difference in the offensive line? The Bills invested heavily there in this offseason. The Bengals might be without Glasgow and Lawson, and that's obviously a significant problem because both of those guys are significant role players. They're not full-time players at this point. Neither of them are. But Glasgow's instrumental as a run defender, and we've talked about Carl Lawson as the best pass rusher on this team. Yeah, and their tackles are where they're hurting. So it would be nice to have Carl Lawson to spell Sam Hubbard, let Hubbard kick inside, and we may end up seeing more Kerry Wynn. We may see Andrew Brown kicked inside instead and let Hubbard rush from the edge where Hubbard's had both of his sacks. So it could be a good thing for for Sam Hubbard second year to be on the edge a little bit more this week if Lawson isn't playing. Sam Hubbard has been the primary wrecking ball for the Bengals' defensive line so far with Lawson's limited playing time. Kerry Wynn, however, is also in concussion protocol, so it might be the first week we see Andrew Brown active, and he might get more of a shot this week just with some of those injuries on the defensive line. They could be down three guys on that unit this week. On the offensive and defensive line, yeah, that's uh, not where you want to be hurting as you go into the the stretch of the season here, already 0-2. Jeff Hobson talked to Tim Lukabu today about the linebackers. It sounds like Jermaine Pratt is close to getting on the field. He has a few things to work out mentally, but I think the coaches are seeing what he provides physically and see what the starters currently don't provide from a physical attributes perspective and want to get Jermaine Pratt onto the field. Ironically, Preston Brown said something akin to, we need to slow down out there. And I'm sitting here thinking, it looks like you're slow. You got to go faster. And he's talking about the mental processing bit of the game. But if he starts to slow down mentally, I worry about where his feet are going to go. He's talking about it like the Bengals are over pursuing on running plays and the linebackers really aren't. That's not the problem. Right. And for as for Jermaine Pratt, uh, that's the hard part when you're only playing with two linebackers. And last week they only played with two linebackers the entire game. And I think it it killed him a little bit because uh, instead of a third linebacker, which maybe would have been Jermaine Pratt, they were bringing down Sean Williams into the box or putting B.W. Webb in the box as the third linebacker. And it's obviously hurt them in the run game. They got chewed up by the 49ers. But having that third linebacker out there would afford Pratt the time to develop on the field. He wouldn't have to call plays. He would get the help of two veterans next to him and Preston Brown and Nick Vigil. If you're going to remove one of those guys to insert Pratt, yeah, you'll get the athleticism, but you may lose something on the mental side. We've talked off air about how we don't think that it can get any worse really at linebacker for the Bengals where they've had severe tackling issues and Preston Brown's lack of ability to just close space. His foot speed has been an issue. Speaking of Browns though, John Brown is a new acquisition for the Buffalo Bills and he has been incredibly efficient for Buffalo this season. I tweeted that he's caught 14 of his 17 targets so far this year and that's gone for 12 first downs and a touchdown. That is some very high efficiency, and Brown gave the Bengals issues last year. So we'll see how the Bengals contend with his speed this year with a quarterback who is going to get out of the pocket and is going to rip it. Yeah, and we have a question on that coming up in the next segment, too, about that. How do we protect against John Brown? And uh, Josh Allen missed him on a deep one last week where he was wide open over the middle. I mean, it should have been a 50, 60-yard touchdown. He just clearly overthrew him with that rocket arm he has. So, um We'll answer that question more in depth, but yeah, he's been really good to start the year for Buffalo. So let's just get into the questions then. Let's get to that in just a minute. We promise the deeper analysis. Let's go in that direction. All right. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it. 
Where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. MyBookie offers a variety of options depending on your style of betting. You can bet on games after kickoff if by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can take the other side and recoup your cash. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, you can try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. No matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDON. Visit mybookie.ag today to play so you win and get paid. It's that time of the week that we get into our Locked On Bengals mailbag. And our first question this week comes from Queen City Fan at Queen City Fan on Twitter. How do the Bengals shut down John Brown, Joe? Yeah, that's it. And uh, we hope it's William Jackson that's on him. I would assume because Cole Beasley is their slot guy, their guy that's going to get most of the targets. Uh, you kind of got to deal with him the best you can, especially if the Bengals are down BW Webb and it's Tony McRae inside. That may be the bigger threat this week. But John Brown scoring on any play, he's their John Ross right now. And, uh, you know, he's providing the big plays and some of the big fourth quarter plays. He took over the game versus the Jets in week one and handled that game pretty easily uh, and, and got the Bills to win. So uh, he makes me nervous, especially the way Jesse Bates is, seems to be jumping the underneath stuff and allowing his uh, corners to get aired out a little bit on the back end. You kind of hope the best plan here is to keep Josh Allen in the pocket and don't give him a lot of time to let the play develop. And our next question is from Derek Davis at DD Brotherhood on Twitter. He asks, what happened to Andy Dalton's rushing ability? Maybe I'm mistaken, but didn't he have legs back at TCU and earlier in his career? I don't think it's even been that long since we've seen Andy Dalton run the ball successfully on some of those little read option plays, but the Bengals try to protect him. He's mostly a pocket kind of passer. He does look a little bit slower this year, I'd say. And I, I think part of this offense is just not asking him to run the ball anymore. It's a lot of run-pass option, not a lot of read option. And a lot of, we're going to give you the same looks. I think the Bengals might at some point try to catch a team off guard and bust out that little read option again because they're giving the look. But yep. Dalton is a little bit slower this year. I think the offense doesn't ask him to run. And that's why we're not seeing it as much. But I'd say you go back even two years, and the Bengals did a lot more of it. Yeah, there's one play in particular, third and one from this past week. They ended up converting, getting two yards on it. But they're in shotgun. It's an inside zone. And it looks like Dalton's going to read. Uh, he does not at all. He hands it directly to Joe Mixon. And Ronald Blair, the edge guy for the 49ers, is he's going right for Mixon the entire way. If uh, Dalton would have pulled it back and run, he picks up five, so a little bit more. But is that worth it, or do you just let Mixon carry that ball and take his two yards and convert? I just think it's there, and they may have to bust it out a little bit more in order to get that guy out of there. There was a play in the Seahawks game last week. They ran a little read option against Pittsburgh and Russell Wilson the quote on Twitter was blocked three guys because you saw the entire weak side of the defense. Yep, stay with them. Frozen. Next question comes from Alex Sardinas at Lex Sardinas on Twitter. If Dalton plays like he has so far but still results in a disappointing record, do you think the Bengals will re-sign him? It's tough, right? We've talked about this in a couple of times this week, how his numbers are really good in terms of yards, uh, touchdowns, interception ratio, completion percentage, passer rating, all the things you want, but it's not translating to many points right now. Uh, he's had just as many big mistakes as he has maybe big throws. Uh, you could argue he's probably taken 20 points off the board and the other teams um, 
side of the field with mistakes, interceptions, fumbles, and, uh, you know, passing when he's across the line of scrimmage and, and such. He's had a few of those, and not those, but of taking points off the board. So I, I think you have to look at it in a larger picture. I don't know how the Bengals will look at it or do look at it right now. I think it has to result in wins for them to be, feel, all right, fully comfortable would be the production and the wins, right? Um Feeling fully uncomfortable with extending him would be he's not producing and they're not winning, more like last year, and or he was injured. Or I think it's kind of a toss-up if he does produce well and they don't win because there are a lot of excuses. We use them. We, you know, the fan base uses the excuses. So I think the team could buy into it too and maybe fall for that and extend him. He has one more year in his deal. True. So I don't see any reason to not just let him play out the contract and make him earn it next year. He would have to do more than he's done through two games this year to really earn it. Because like you said, even though the yardage is there, none of the advanced metrics are favorable for Dalton. And the PFF grading, especially last week, wasn't very good. He's made some mistakes. One of his worst throws or one of his turnover worthy throws, if you go by PFF lingo, was a touchdown to John Ross that the free safety back there should have picked off. So right. yes, I mean... And on the one hand, we like that he's taking that shot. But is that a good throw? No, it's not a good throw. So we don't know what Zach Taylor's thinking. Joe had a couple of tweets this week about where would you have thrown this ball? And my response was Joe wanted to go to the post. And I said, Dalton's never throwing that ball in a tight window against the Tampa two. And he said, well, would you want your quarterback to do that? And I said, yeah, sure. But I think only a couple quarterbacks in the league can do it. But that doesn't mean you don't try to go find that guy. Right. That's the point. I think that, and we've had a lot of people say, well, would a better quarterback even matter when the defense is this bad or the line's that bad? Well, there's three or four plays that, yeah, it probably would matter. And I don't, doesn't mean they win last week because they got completely manhandled, but and they might win in Seattle with a different guy, a guy that can, you know, threaten all levels of the field and all areas of the field at all times. So it's not so much an Andy Dalton issue. It's a how dangerous do you want to be at that position when you have so many holes around him? And again, this isn't to say that Andy Dalton is a bad guy, bad quarterback. He's an excellent human being. We've said this a lot of times. It's just he is not a talent elevator. He's good enough on a really good team to win, but the Bengals are not a really good team right now. Right. And because it pertains to the matchup this week, we're going to see almost the polar opposite of Andy Dalton. We'll see in Josh Allen. So we'll see a lot of the routine stuff where Allen's not great at, so give it a direct comparison to Andy Dalton going through the routine throws and, and see how much better Dalton is. You'll be like, okay, I, I'm, I'm comfortable with 80% of the plays. And that'll be the 20% where Allen's going to do something freaky and crazy. It might even result in a turnover, but it might result in a bunch of big plays that we really don't get many from Dalton. We may get that at a 8 to 10% clip uh, from Andy Dalton. And I, we'll have to see it in this game. Is that the biggest difference? Because talent-wise, these teams are pretty similar. We did see Andy Dalton try to make a play last week that resulted in one of the worst interceptions he's thrown, and it was a bad decision. You usually don't see Dalton make that kind of bad decision when it's just straight up. There's nothing tricky there. You just There's a guy running Tyler Eifert's route for him. He threw it to him. Yeah. Next question is from Brian at B. Artbo. He says, do the struggles of the Steelers, and in his opinion, upcoming struggles of the Browns, make poor play by the Bengals any easier to stomach? Outside of Baltimore, the entire AFC North looks shaky. And Baltimore looks great because Lamar Jackson looks great. And you can get at me with any of the quality of competition concerns for Baltimore that you want. They have played the worst team in maybe NFL history. 
and the worst team in the NFL from 2018 to start their season. So it's a pretty soft landing, and they almost lost out in Arizona. So, yeah, they've had a soft start to the season, but they've looked very good, and Lamar Jackson is making throws that are very difficult to make. To answer the question, no, it doesn't make me feel better. When the Steelers are bad, and the Browns maybe aren't as good as we, well, some people thought they would be, because I wasn't sold, I thought they'd be better than this, actually. I thought Baker, in particular, would be better than this. Yeah. But when those things are happening, you want the Bengals to be good and capitalize. It doesn't make it easier. It means that they're missing an opportunity to contend for the division. See, and I was going to say, yeah, it makes me feel better that they're also having a bad way at it. But then you made the point of you want them to capitalize because this would be a great year to get up there and battle for the, uh, for the AFC North title. And they're obviously not in position to do that. The next question we've got comes from Ambassador at Beast Mode 916. Can we finally put to rest the notion that John Ross is a bust? This is an easy one. I say yes, but I also say the definition of bust is subjective. Um, I think if a guy gets injured but the talent is there and the evaluation was correct to, uh, to convince you to draft that player, then that's not a bust. Sure, he busted. His career didn't provide what you expected because he was injured, but your evaluation was correct. The process is more important than the results. So for me, uh, Ross wasn't a bust because I could see it last year, and I just you know thought he could tweak, tweak it a little bit more, get up to speed a little bit more, and I think we've seen it this year that uh, talent-wise, there's no question with Ross. Yeah, there's a couple different definitions you could run with, right? You could compare him to who was picked around him, and then you could say, yeah, he's a bust because he's not Marshawn Lattimore, Patrick Mahomes, or right. Deshaun Watson. But right. but if you compare John Ross to a first-round wide receiver through a couple games this year, he's looked really good, and he's done everything you want him to do. The only thing that he really needs to fix is drops. And he fixes drops, and suddenly he's a very good receiver. He's already ranked pretty well. If you go by PFF, he leads the league in receiving yards. So, yeah, his speed is scaring teams now. You can see teams adjusting to it, and that should lead to him making a lot of easy catches in space. But he's got to work out his hands. And somebody pointed out that Sammy Watkins had issues with his hands when he came into the league, and he had to buy his own jugs machine to practice this. And maybe John Ross needs to do the same thing. Yeah, a lot of players do do that in order to uh, improve in that area because that's a whole nother conversation about development and coachability and things like that. But uh, yeah, it can be worked on and it can be fixed individually. Next question is from Alex Bates at CBJ Alex underscore Lex or LAX lacrosse. Probably how will AJ greens eventual return impact the rest of the offense, Jake? It should make everything easier, right? Because while teams are afraid of, of John Ross to some degree and Tyler Boyd is a machine, he actually has the most catches through two games in franchise history with 18, which is one better than TJ Hushmanzada's 17 in 2007. This is from the Jeff Hobson piece, Jeff Hobson piece on Bengals.com today. TJ that year, by the way, went on to lead the league, tied for the lead in the league with 112 catches. Anyway... A.J. Green's return to the offense is going to open everything up in the 11 personnel that the Bengals love to come out in. means Tyler Boyd and or John Ross should have more space to operate or whatever tight end they have out there. Maybe the opposing teams have to keep two safeties high because if you have the threat of A.J. Green and John Ross running deep on you, well, you're going to want to have some extra help back there. And that can mean things get better for Joe Mixon. The thing that it won't improve is the offensive line. It might mean teams can't blitz as happily as they could have before. But when you look at teams that are going to be matchup problems for the Bengals, that's going to be teams like the 49ers. The 49ers only blitz three times, and they got pressure all day. 
And if you can get pressure with your front four, that's going to be the biggest problem for Andy Dalton because that means he has to diagnose your full coverage team and he's also contending with pressure. Yeah, and you're better off not blitzing Dalton. Dalton's actually exactly. been, numbers-wise, very good against the blitz. It's when you can drop everyone into coverage, and now he's got to go to his second, third read. He starts to get antsy in that pocket, and that's when that's when you affect Andy Dalton. So, uh, yeah, it might put more guys into coverage. It will open up the running game. I feel confident about that because, uh, man, they're shooting those gaps, especially with that safety or that nickel corner right now. They're really defending that edge on these stretch zones, which is smart for outside zone running team uh, to defend it. So I think when you get green out there, they're not going to be able to do that as often because then the RPO star and those guys, they want to jump in fine. You're going to hit green on the slant and uh, let them do some work. The other thing that's interesting that that made me think of, by the way, is that the highest frequency of holding calls this year on running plays is coming on outside runs. This is something that PFF published today, talking about how the frequency of holding calls has increased and examining if something has changed that is leading to that. Turns out, nope. They're calling pretty much all the same stuff. They're just calling holding more. We have a lot more questions to get to today. We'll get back to those in just a minute. Guys, let's talk about sex. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable... They work up as twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Let me tell you, we get free samples, and if you think Marshawn Lynch has a good stiff arm, you've seen nothing yet. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor visits, no waiting at the pharmacy, the, and best of all, no awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code LOCKEDON. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code LOCKEDON to try it free. BlueChew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Lockdown Bengals podcast. All right, we'll jump right back to the questions here. It's from Chuck Ellison at BearcatsXZ. Are the Bengals attempting to utilize Drew Sample in the running game? Kittle was a huge reason why San Fran was successful last Sunday. I thought the purpose of drafting Sample so high was that he was a top-blocking tight end. Do you see any evidence of his talent yet? I mean, a little bit, right? You see flashes, but it takes time for most players especially at tight end to get used to playing in the nfl and i talked to cj uzama about this yesterday on the podcast so if you didn't listen to that yet go listen to my talk with cj uzama because i asked him specifically does it take longer for tight ends to get acclimated to the nfl because you have so many different places you have to line up and so many different responsibilities and so many different jobs on different plays and he said yeah for a lot of guys it is he said of course it depends on the guy you've got but I mean, if you listen to Joe and I during the draft, neither of us thought Drew Sample was a second-round prospect. And so after that, now he's on the Bengals. The the prognosis for him is it's going to take him a little bit of time, but he could be the comparable as Seattle's Will, Will Disley. And Will Disley had two touchdowns last week. So there's upside for Drew Sample, but he's still a rookie, and he's had his share of rookie struggles. And his most impressive um, contribution to the team last week were a couple catches. Uh, he wasn't great in the run game. So um, let's hope he develops there. It's a lot of strength. It's a lot of power. It's why rookie offensive and defensive linemen typically struggle when they're 
you know, outmatched in terms of length and, and strength. And right now, uh, sample is. And the Bengals are asking their tight ends to block a lot of defensive linemen one-on-one, which is never easy. Our next question comes from Lonnie Weishar at STL Kiss on Twitter. Joe, what is your Mount Rushmore of cheeses? So I got to pick four cheeses to go on the Mount Rushmore. And I think uh, for sure cheddar, mozzarella, provolone, and I want to say American, but I think I should go a little something fun. If I've got those three, I can do something different, and I would say blue cheese. American definitely doesn't belong on any Mount Rushmore of any cheese, no matter where you are in the world. American cheese is not even cheese. I don't need this whole debate right now, all right? I like to make sandwiches. Uh, cheddar is a fine cheese. Cheddar's great. That's Cheddar's why I provolone. Too. That's why you picked cheddar? Provolone. Because you like it on sandwiches. Yeah. Provolone's fine, too. It doesn't make my Mount Rushmore, though. It goes cheddar, parmesan, goat. Goat cheese, okay. Feta? You question that. Yeah. The fourth gets... I really like cheese, so the fourth gets really hard for me to decide between. Feta and parmesan are good um, additions to that, though, because how much do you use parmesan, especially for pastas and so on? If Parmesan could make any sort of sense in my cooking, I use it. I love it. It's right. my favorite cheese. Yeah. I got the next question, right? Brandon Kuhn, my man. He asks, would you rather bet on the Bengals to make the playoffs or get the number one pick? No. That's tough. You're right. That's tough. They're not going to get either one. No. I mean, it's, let's say the odds are 100 to 1, right? You get to put a dollar on one of these, Jake, and make, make 100 bucks. One pick. Which one? Number one, you would say yeah. number one? Between those two choices, if, if, if I, yeah. Because they play the Dolphins late in the year. You have a shot to do something, right? That you control your destiny somewhat to get the number one pick. I mean, how much of a tank job would that have to be? I can't see them doing it, but I don't right? know. I mean, they're if, both 0-2. If but you're making me pick. Miles apart. I yeah, don't I see agree. them making the playoffs. I agree. I know. They'd have to go on a run here. I thought they would beat San Francisco, and they got demolished. Right. Now, if they go out and beat Buffalo, and then they can handle business with Pittsburgh because of Mason Rudolph, let's hope. Monday night. Two and two, then not take the bet for the playoffs. Ask me again in two weeks, because then I won't bet number one pick at all, because I don't think the Dolphins are going to win two games. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think the Dolphins are going to win any games. I think they're actually the worst team in NFL history. Based on what we've seen, did you see Josh Rosen had two beautiful, deep, long, deep touchdown yeah. throws, and they're both dropped. I think no I fun think, there. I think Football Outsiders agrees that Miami is through two games the worst team in NFL history by their DVOA. Our next question comes from Andrew Dockrell. I've got the Bills winning, so jumping ahead here. But if the Bengals start zero and four, man, this is a sunny question with a yeah. loss in Pittsburgh to a backup. Surely taking the Miami approach becomes logical. At least putting the rookies in and seeing what offers come. Are there any off-limits players for trading? A couple things here. First, um, yeah, if they go to 0-4, yeah, we should. And I don't say it's a tank job, but it's a you enter evaluation mode. And that's I need to see what all 53 players can do for my roster in order to make the correct decisions down the line. The Bengals haven't done this or have done this way too late in past losing seasons where they get to the final two games. And now Christian Westerman and Alex Redman are playing and Nick Vigil's playing and this and that. So you want to be able to see those guys for an extended period if you feel like you're out of it. Uh, In terms of any off-limits players for trade, 
there's probably very few, right? I mean, look at the roster and say, look look at around the league with guys demanding trades and the, the return they're getting. Some of them are, are nothing, and then some of them are you're going to get a couple first-round picks for Jalen Ramsey. So I don't think we have a Jalen Ramsey. I don't think we have a prime guy that is a Pro Bowl, all-pro type, potentially change your defense or offense type on the roster. So I would say uh, nobody is off limits. Nobody's off limits for me either. And this ties in really nicely to our next question, doesn't it? It does. This is from Zachary Bremeyer. Who would hypothetically be the most valuable Bengals to trade? And what's the most value they could get for a single player in a trade? Simply hypothetical, but wondering who the most valuable player is. Tyler Boyd, maybe because of his contract. John Ross, maybe because of the upside. I don't think A.J. Green, unless he comes back and puts a, puts together a couple of nice weeks before the trade deadline. Geno yeah. Atkins, probably too. Sam Hubbard, there it is. Sam Hubbard is our most valuable trade chip. I can see that. Yeah, He's I had a great that. start to the season, and he's on a rookie deal. Yeah, I could also see other teams, even though there's been up and downs right now with Bates and, and Jackson, I could see other teams being, yeah, give me those guys because of the upside talent. But uh, I agree. I think it probably would be Hubbard. But I, is there anyone that's getting a first-round pick in return? Because I don't think Hubbard would. I think you get a second. I don't know. Maybe not. Because I don't think you'd get a first for Boyd either. If Jonah Boyd was healthy, you might be able to get a first for him. Right. Even Atkins, I think you'd only get a second. Even um, A.J. Green, I think right now it would be like a Demarius Thomas trade from last year, Golden Tate trade from last year, third and fifth. Yeah. So, next question. That's you. It is me. New Day Dusty at Dusty Balls, the leader of the Lockdown Bengals Fantasy League as of week two, asks, if the season ends up bad, do you think the Bengals will finally pull the plug on Andy Dalton? And even if they have a decent season and sneak into the playoffs, how long until they start eyeing the next guy? We've kind of talked about this, but let's talk it was about Dusty. it some more. Yeah, we, we tried to give Dusty a question here. And I will say that uh, – let's answer the last part because that's probably the difference. Um, when will they start eyeing the next guy? I think that uh, that happens this – if you pick top five, you, you start eyeing that guy right then and there because uh, the upside is worth the pick there and the bet is worth it. So uh, that's when it starts. I think Zach Taylor started evaluating quarterbacks when he took the job. And I think that he thought, you know what, let's see if we can get it done with Andy Dalton. But I, he's 31. He's going into the last year of his deal. I think if Zach Taylor is going to get some leash and we have no reason to think the Bengals won't give it to him, he's going to probably be looking for another quarterback pretty soon. And I, I'm a little concerned, actually, because I want him to go for a guy with arm talent, right? We've had these... Well, it's really just Andy Dalton's just a system guy. It's been so long since we had Carson Palmer. I want to see if he goes for outside of the box or if he just looks for another Jared Goff kind of player. Jake Fromm. Yeah. That would be the you know, that would be the system guy. Yeah. Next question from Michael Hoffer. At what point do we start to worry Cordy Glenn may not make it back? I think he took another step in the concussion protocol this week. Otherwise I would be worried about it. But he moved into agility work, so he is just slowly moving through it. But, I don't know, maybe two more weeks? Yeah, I guess so. I see a lot of people, but just put him on an IR now. I don't think he's taking a roster spot from anyone that's actually going to play or be good. So you kind of hold out hope that he's eventually going to return, even if it's week eight, because, I mean, geez, you kind of need him. 
the nature of the concussion protocol is such that you're out until you're in and it's a black box. You can't see into it. Coaches can't talk about it. So we really have no idea. But there is the sign that he's back to agility work. That's a step in the right direction. Next question comes from Cody Story at Cody Story 55. Is Bobby Hart the smallest dumpster fire in the offensive line? It feels that way because nobody is talking about him. Also, when will Pratt take over for Brown at linebacker? We talked about Pratt. Let's talk about Bobby Hart. Uh, Bobby's actually doing okay this year, and and that's for the standard he has set for himself for, throughout his career, which has been pretty poor. He's having his best year, I would say, and uh, he's having more positive impact blocks than I think I remember him at any stretch of at least two games last year. So that's a good thing. He's still having the negatives. Uh, he's They're not killing the team so far because they're – I mean, that's kind of spread out, so we're not, our anger isn't focused on Bobby Hart. But um, I, I did 10 missed, basically, opportunities in the run game for the Athletic in my film review. Only one ended up being Bobby Hart, so uh, that's pretty good. And, and all things considered, where he was last year, he's still bad, and you still got to replace him at some point. But right now, he's not you know, target public enemy number one for, for Bengals fans. And that's because they're left tackle four and left guard four. If there was Cordy Glenn and Clint Bowling out there, we're probably looking a lot harder at Bobby Hart, especially with the good start John Miller had last week and the fact that Trey Hopkins remains PFF's number one center through two weeks of NFL grading. Let's get to our last question. It's from Nick Green, and this is going to finish us off on a um, negative note here, I guess. If Jalen Ramsey gets traded to the Ravens, how much should we cry, Jake? Think about that defense, right? Um, Marlon Humphrey and Earl Thomas and then adding Jalen Ramsey. I would mostly be upset because A.J. Green would get ejected more because I hate watching the Steelers-Bengals games where there's bad blood, and that just brings bad blood into the Baltimore matchup, and that's just not fun for me. Like, rivalries are okay until they lead to all the extracurricular shit that we've seen between the Bengals and the Steelers for years. I don't want to see that anymore. I'm sick of it. I don't want that to come to Baltimore. But I don't care at all that the Pittsburgh Steelers just traded for, for Minka Fitzpatrick. Mm-mm. I mean, Ramsey's better. That was dumb. It was dumb. They need a first-round pick this year. I mean, they must think Mason Rudolph's – I don't know. It's, it's, it's wild. They could have had a chance at a top quarterback in the mold of the Colts, and they threw it away. That's not so much a concern for the Ravens, but I don't know. I, I just – it wouldn't bother me that much. Man, think about, like, if somebody ran to you and offered – this would be like if someone offered a first-round pick for Jesse Bates right now. How quickly would you say, okay, take it? Yeah. And especially if the team just lost their quarterback. Yeah. 0-2 just lost your quarterback. Hey, we'll give you a first-round pick. If the yeah. Steelers did that right now yeah, and it wasn't a division team. Oh, my God, yes. Take Jesse Bates, please, for that top-10 pick. Hell, yeah. Make it Fitzpatrick isn't of Jesse Bates, I guess, in terms of draft capital used on him. He's probably seen as a better prospect, but – yeah, I'm absolutely taking a top 10 pick for anybody on the Bengals right now. Right, that's true. We just answered this, I guess. That is our last question for the mailbag. Thank you all so much for submitting. We're sorry if we didn't get to your question or your question was bad. One of those two things. But keep trying. Your question probably wasn't bad. We probably just ran out of time. That's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. The Bengals play the Bills in Buffalo. Is this another home opener? It is. That's tough. Three weeks in a row. That's tough. I mean, one of them was a Bengal, but whatever. They go to Buffalo for Buffalo's home opener. We'll see if the Bengals can sneak out their first win of the season. We'll have your recap directly after the game on Sunday. Until then, Bengals fans, have a good one.